Truth is a topic that has been debated for thousands of years with questions like, what is it, who has it, and how do we know? Well, for years, Dr. Jeff Myers has been teaching truth and a biblical worldview through Summit Ministries. Now, Dr. Myers' latest book is called Truth Changes Everything, How People of Faith Can Transform the World in Time of Crisis. Dr. Myers, welcome back to The Morning Conversation. I'm looking forward to having a chance to visit. You're involved with a ministry called Summit Ministries, which is awesome. For those who aren't familiar with Summit Ministries yet, give us a quick overview. So Summit Ministries is a Colorado-based ministry, and for 60 years now, students have traveled to Manitou Springs to spend a couple of weeks with top thought leaders from a Christian worldview to get answers to their big questions. And the whole goal, Stan, is that they would come to embrace Hmm. the truth and champion a biblical worldview. So a lot of them are headed off to a college or university. They're moving into their careers and everything from law to the military to education where they can make a difference. I was just in Washington, D.C. and came out of a TV interview and somebody who's standing there turns out to be a reporter who is a Summit Ministries graduate. So it was so fun to meet her. And basically what it did for her was convince her that she needs to be the sort of person who stands for truth. I've known several people who've been a part of it, nothing but glowing comments about how God used it in their lives and always and forever. But man, the current time that we're in, to know what Summit Ministries is about is to want your young person in your life to be a part of it and to go. You know, not everybody is reached at an amazing level, but 4% of this generation has a biblical worldview. Mm, That's the most recent research. By the time they leave two weeks at Summit Ministries, 85 percent have a biblical wow, worldview. Yeah, that's awesome. And that persists because we study our graduates one year out, five years out, 10 years out. Mm-hmm. We do that every year. So we have a really good sense of once they grasp a biblical worldview, they're not satisfied with the counterfeit mm-hmm. worldviews anymore. Yes. And it changes their whole approach to their schooling, their professional life, everything yeah, else. Truth is truth. Right? I mean, (laughs) us as Christ followers, we can get bombarded all the time with challenges to truth that if we're not careful, we can lose track of like, no, truth is truth. And it speaks even to someone who doesn't know Jesus. It does. Flannery O'Connor said, the truth does not depend on your ability to Mm. stomach it emotionally. But there is a battle between two different perspectives on truth. It seems like there are a million different views, but there are really only two. And there is a battle right now. And that's uh, what I'm really passionate to communicate about these days. Jeff, you've written 16 books, I believe. Is that accurate? So you've got a latest book called Truth Changes Everything, How People of Faith Can Transform the World in Times of of Crisis. So just curious of what led you to write this particular book at this particular time. There are a couple of things, Stan. I remember uh, several years ago listening to a speech by Oprah Winfrey, Golden Global Awards, I think is what it's called. Mm -hmm. And she said, the most important thing is to speak your truth. And I I understood what she was saying, because it was in the context of the Me Too movement. And there have been a lot of women, and probably men as well, who've been abused through time and have never felt courageous enough to tell their story. So that's what she was referring to. And I was very grateful that she was willing to say that, you know, encourage people to speak out. But the way she said it, it didn't sit right with me. Speak your truth? Hmm. Shouldn't she have said, Speak the The truth truth. and illustrate it with your experiences. Mm. Maybe that's just too many words, but it it (laughs) seemed, (laughs) it just seemed like 
here you've got this person with this huge platform and she's not just telling people your opinions matter or your experiences matter. She's actually communicating something about the nature of truth itself. So I looked into it more and found that below the battles that we think define our era, Republicans versus Democrats, red states versus blue states, religious people versus non-religious people, below all of that is actually a battle over what truth is. Does mm. truth exist to exist in a way that's knowable by us? Mm. Or is it just something that we make up for ourselves? And it turned out that as I was talking with the publisher about this idea, we actually tipped in the United States of America. Now, a majority of people in this country say they believe truth is up to the individual wow. rather than truth exists out there independently to be discovered. Mm -hmm. We have no idea what the implications of that are, but I'll just put it this way. No civilization has ever gotten to the place where a majority of its people believed that and survived wow. unless something changed significantly. And usually that change comes about through a crisis. So how we respond to the crises of our times each one of us makes an enormous difference for the future of our nation, for our children, grandchildren, and everything else. Jeff, as we're talking about that whole relative truth and some people who believe that truth is relative, where in life, in terms of tangible things, does that play out and get affirmed? I mean, so tell an architect that, you know what, I'm going to go off my truth here as far as how this building should be built to go, no, there's truth about how buildings get built. And if you don't build it that way, the thing's going to fall down on top of you. I think there are some people who recognize that there are facts of science, there are facts of history, but when it comes to morals, there aren't facts that we that we just have our opinions. And I don't find that compelling. But Stan, here's the weird thing. This battle about truth has gone so deep that even the facts about science and history are being called into question. Mm by people at the university who say, look, we have no access to the truth. All we have are our experiences. Hmm. Melville Herskovitz was a professor at the Northwestern University, and he wrote about this in the early 1970s. It developed a thing called ethnomathematics. And what he said was, even the facts about the physical world are processed through what he called the enculturative screen. In other words, two plus two equals four. If that's meaningful to you based on your cultural experience, it seems crazy it could, because exactly what you're saying is true. If you're going to fly from New York to London, you may believe culturally that the continents touch, but you should still probably bring enough fuel for a 3,000 mile journey if you don't want to splash down in the Atlantic Ocean. Yes. And you think, but how, how much crazier could it be these days? So here's a thought experiment I do with people who say, oh, no, all morality is opinion. I say, okay. Let me make two statements for you. Statement A, it is good to care for abandoned puppies. Statement B, it is good to torture abandoned puppies. Is there any meaningful difference between those two statements? Mm -hmm. Because we know there is a meaningful difference between them, that you can't say that care for and torture mean the same thing. If you do, you've essentially said there's no meaning to language. 
Hmm. And language has no referential relationship between the things that we're talking about and the words that we're using. And if that's the case, why are we even bothering to have this conversation? Jeff, it takes an investment to write a book. What made you go, okay, if I could see this accomplished through writing of this book, it would make all my investment worth it. Stan, there's a personal story involved. As I got the opportunity to write this book, I was diagnosed with cancer. Hmm. And the doctor said, we're confident that we can treat this. It's a super aggressive treatment, but we have a good chance to beat it. And of course, I was thinking about all of those things, the vacations that my wife and I wanted to go on with the kids grown up and, you know, the grandbabies that I hope to hold someday. And everything about life gets compressed when you face a diagnosis like that. Mm. You begin to think, this conversation I have with this person might be the last time we get to talk. Mm. This letter that I write might be the last communication this person gets from me. Mm. And authors go through the same thing. So I was actually faced with, if this is the last book I ever get to write, is this the book I want to write? Then what should I write about? And I remember David Noble, one of my mentors, the founder of Summit Ministries, saying, tell the students to stand for truth. It is the most important thing to stand for. And I thought, this is, this is it. This is the defining thing of our age because the loss of truth has led to a loss of meaning. And it's especially the case, Stan, for the young adults that I work with. 75% of them say they do not have a sense of purpose that gives them meaning in life. More than 50% say they regularly struggle with anxiety and depression. These are not the marks of a culture that is enlightening itself and moving somewhere positive. These are the marks of a culture that has completely lost its way. And when you lose your way, if you're driving, as much as it irritates you, you turn around and go back to where you got lost mm. and then you start over. Mm. And I think that's what we need to do. So the, the cool thing is, as I more I studied it, and I, this book is basically just story after story after story of Jesus followers in history who changed the world in times of tremendous crisis because they wanted to stand for the truth. And I realized we can learn from those stories and even then know how to respond in our time of crisis. Jeff, we were talking earlier about how many in our culture now believe that truth can't be known. So many of us Christ followers, like theoretically might know some things, but deep down we may have gotten dislodged from our belief about truth because of all that we get bombarded with from the culture. So why should we believe that truth can be known? There are two aspects to it. The first one is you got to look at why people say there is no truth. And then the second thing is to sort of look for the reasons why we know truth exists and then what the source of it is and how we can find it. It turns out in philosophy, there are really four sort of lines of argument that somebody uses if they want to try to persuade you. First one is sophism. All truth is, is what helps us win. This is the most dangerous of our day. You can say completely absurd things. And if you can make people believe you, then you win. A second one is deflationism. Truth is just, it's a meaningless aspect of our conversation. If I say it's true that the sun rose today, that's no different than just saying the sun rose today. So adding the word truth doesn't add anything to the conversation. Third view is pluralism. This one, a lot of people get caught up in saying, well, I don't want to offend anybody. You have your truth. I have my truth. The final one is pragmatism, is truth is whatever works. So this is kind of the direction the world has gone. And we just uh, agree on what we agree on. And as long as we agree, then we're right. As I looked at it, I realized, you know, some of the tools of the philosophers are actually pretty helpful. Just for example, the way we use language. If I say there is no such thing as truth, I have just 
proclaim a truth. <laughs> it's not even possible to say there is no truth hmm. without proclaiming a truth. Interesting. When we, you and I communicate, even if we don't agree on something, at least we know that we disagree because we both agree on that words refer to things and ideas that are, are real. And that's an important aspect of truth. The same way that you can know that the law of gravity says, if you go up on top of your building and think feelings of upness, if you jump, you're still going down, hmm. no matter how good you feel about going up, <laughs> right? You, you don't violate the law of gravity, yes. you prove it. And there are moral implications to all of this. Early scientists, and I read about this in Truth Changes Everything, recognize that the physical laws exist and they have moral implications. And if all of that is so, then we can actually understand the world because God has designed it to be understood by us. And that was the foundation of modern science. So, Jeff, you uh, talk a lot about having conversations with other people about issues, right? That's kind of what you do, and you help all of us do the same thing very effectively. But uh, in that, you talk about the importance of both truth and relationships, right? So, what's the danger if we have one without the other? In the old days, way back in classical times, the Greeks talked about truth. And they and the Romans talked about truth and lots of philosophers have talked about truth. But they kind of say we know the truth exists because we can make logical statements. I can look outside of the window and say it is raining and it wouldn't be reasonable for somebody to say it is not raining in the same time and in the same sense that it is something that's observable. There can't be a con there's a contradiction between those two things. Both ideas cannot be true at the same time and in the same sense. So philosophers looked at that. They developed all the logic behind it. The Christian worldview adds a unique twist to it. It says, yes, logic exists. Reason is real. We can reason our way to conclusions. Yes, we can develop models that accurately represent the world. But the truth is something more. The truth is a person. It's Jesus. Jesus said, if you follow my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That word for truth there doesn't just mean opinion. It means reality. You will know reality. So if truth is a person, then truth, true truth is always relational. Does that make sense yeah, to you? Totally. If you're communicating the truth and you're not doing it in a relational way, then you're not communicating the whole truth. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to relate to someone else, but you're not being truthful with that person, then you're not really being relational either. Mm -hmm. So truth and relationship always have to go together. I picture a DNA double helix. And we all remember that from our science class. <laughs> oh, yeah, the we little, all do. The little, yeah, the little, the little <laughs> twisty, twisty thing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, my teacher had a, had a little model of it, you know, it was, but you can see that there were two strands and they twisted together and they were connected by nucleotides. Think of that when you think of truth and relationship, the mm. truth and relationship intertwined together. They're like the two strands of the DNA double helix. Mm. And what is our goal? Our goal is to connect to truth and relationship for people every day. Mm. Somehow we can do that in our everyday conversations with the people around us. Jeff, we live in a day and an age where if I disagree with you, I shut you down. How do we build trust with people that we don't agree with or they don't agree with us? In the book, True Changes Everything, I, I after I told uh, I probably 75 stories, I was faced with the question, okay, so what does this look like for my life? So actually the chapter that I wrote was called how to speak the truth and be nice at the same time. <laughs> Being nice is not the goal. 
of life. I put it, I put that in there because that's what people seek for. We want to live in a way that doesn't offend other people. We basically just want to get along. And I know some people who are, who are listening to this right now are thinking, that's not true. I see things on the internet all the time where people just fight, fight, fight. I've done a lot of research with several different research companies just trying to understand the cultural moment. This was a breakthrough for me. Five to 8% of the people in America are real jerks. They respond to conflict, they say, by cutting other people out of their lives. Hmm. They love the cancel culture. They feel that it is their moral obligation to cancel and ruin as many people as possible. Of the people you meet, there's a 92 to 95% chance hmm. that they're not like that. Hmm. People actually want to listen and talk with you. It starts with asking questions. So one of my favorites is, tell me more about that. Years ago, when I was doing my doctoral program, I did a lot of research in education and communication. It turns out the most popular kids was their willingness to listen and engage in conversation with other people. They were always viewed as more attractive. If I'm a Christian and I'm feeling nervous, if I met an atheist, I wouldn't know what to tell them. Mm. If I met somebody who was in a really tough spot in life, I wouldn't know what to tell them. Well, don't tell. Ask. Mm. My favorite questions are just definitional. Uh, if somebody says, well, so-and-so, they're unjust. Well, what do you mean by justice? Tell me, give me a definition of that term that, that's supportable by the evidence. You know, that kind of a thing. You see, if, at the end of the day, we're going to find truth, not by butting heads with other people, so much as by turning and being side-by-side, side, moving toward the truth together. Jeff, it's just the nature of kids to question things. And uh, I've wondered at times even, because I, I used to work with youth for a number of years when I first got out of college, and I've been a parent myself. So I, I know the stress and the fear and the concern that can happen in a parent's heart when their kids start questioning things of faith they raise them in. I've wondered at times if true faith is even possible for most young people without going through a season of doubt and questioning. I, I'd love to hear your perspective. I would consider it a blessing to be a parent whose child would actually say something like that. Hmm. Because there are a lot of kids out there thinking, there's no way my parents will understand. I'm not even going to bring it up. If a child is willing to say, I'm not sure I believe this. You want to, first of all, uh, say, thank you for saying that because it's hard to know. We can't really know where we are, each of us, unless we're willing to say it aloud. And that's a risk. So thank you for saying that. And then, you know, I remember Sean McDowell is one of my, my students from Summit Ministries from years ago. And now he's an author and speaker. Yeah. And he's very successful at this. He tells a story of having that conversation with his dad. Now, can you imagine Josh McDowell, hmm. the Christian <laughs> apologist, known by hundreds of millions of people all over the world. And his son is saying, I don't know if I believe all of this. Hmm. And Josh's response is instructive. He said, son, I want you to believe what is true. Now, if you study this and you can find convincing evidence that it's not true, then I wouldn't want you to believe it. But if it is true, I want you to pursue it. And that gave Sean the freedom to explore. Of course, he was given good resources of what to explore. And there are tons of those. You can go to summit.org and see all kinds of tough questions being answered. 
that's what changed Sean. That set him on a completely different trajectory. Hmm. So that conversation around the kitchen table yeah, can be kind of similar. Hmm. Not pretending to know the answers because saying, I don't know, but I'm going to try to find out and look into this myself. Can we talk later? Actually helps persuade people that you're you're not a faker. Yeah. It's normal that somebody would ask questions and not be able to come up with every answer. Hmm. That's just the way life is. Jeff, one more question before we let you go. You tell lots of stories in your book about how Jesus followers changed the world as they pursued truth. So I would love for you to end our time this morning telling one of your favorite stories out of that. Oh, there's so many stories that I would say are my favorites. But one of my favorite stories is a professor at Oxford University named John Wycliffe. So this is hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And John Wycliffe had a conviction that he should translate the Bible into English. This was simply not done in that day. Latin was considered to be the hmm. penultimate language. You wouldn't, you if you translated it into English, it would be like adding a curse word every third or fourth word. It was a vulgar language. You wouldn't translate the Bible from Latin into English. Hmm. And the people in charge believed that so strongly that they prohibited it at pain of death. And we all have heard the story of William Tyndale, who was actually captured and executed burned to death because he was translating the scriptures into English. But Wycliffe was a very well-respected professor. And he said, listen, Moses heard from God in his own language. The disciples heard from Jesus in their own language. People today need to be able to hear from God in their own language. Problem was, English was not a standardized language. There was no standardized vocabulary. There was no standardized spelling. So he standardized it all stand in order to translate the Bible. A lot of people don't know this. He actually invented 1,100 words in English Hmm. to publish the Bible in English. And it standardized not only the Bible, but it literally standardized the English language. That standardized English language led to the English that we use today and is the number one trade language in the world. The entire world has literally changed because a professor hundreds of years ago at Oxford University in his little cold cubicle Hmm. decided he should risk death to translate the Bible into English. And everything has changed. So when I say that truth changes everything, I mean literally everything is changed by the recognition that Jesus is the truth. Well, Dr. Myers, our time with you this morning has been so good. We really appreciate you taking time to join us again and helping us to understand the importance of talking about and defending the truth. And again, thanks so much for spending the morning with us today. It's fun to talk with you. I enjoy these conversations a lot. 